This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You'll probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. Well, how have you guys been? <laughs> Do you guys think I fell off the face of the earth? Well, you know I didn't because I've been on the social medias. I'm here. It's it's Sharp Tongue Tuesday, per se. A um, couple weeks late because my father passed away. So much fun. I'm a part of the Dead Dads Club which I'm excited to be a new member of. I'm excited to see what benefits I get, hopefully better parking spots at uh, events, and some free snacks. <laughs> What's up, everybody? I've missed you all. Have you guys missed my nasally voice? I, I always wonder like, if, if you guys don't get your episodes, if you're pissed, or if you're like, well, I guess we're okay, because we didn't have to listen to that Syracuse nasal action that's coming out of her mouth. We're here. I'm back in L.A. Um, I just took my hair down from, it was in a bun that it's been in for about three days. And what's the date today? Today is November 12th. I have not washed my hair since October. Uh, let's see. My father passed away on two weeks ago today. <laughs> Happy Veterans Day. <laughs> it's so funny how you don't even realize that. So I have not washed my hair since uh, 10 days. So uh, that's where I'm at. Okay. Uh, I don't want you guys to judge me. So I'm going, I'm going to wash it today. But I felt that I needed to just let it be free one more day. You know, because I feel like all the emotions of the past two weeks are accumulated inside of my hair right now. They're just, you know, sometimes, you know, if I have a bad day, I'll wash the clothes before I wear them again. I don't know why my voice just went like, you know, I don't have to wash jeans every day. If something bad happened that day, like negative energy or, or someone, you know, if like someone just was rude to me, I don't want that energy in my clothes, so I'll wash them. <laughs> But hey, your dad dies and you take two weeks for your hair to be like, well, now we're Amazonian. Literally, I look Amazonian right now. My hair is, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's offensive. It's absolutely offensive. But you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm trying my best. <laughs> and I just couldn't, I, I didn't want to wash. I didn't want to wash it. Like, nor I'll go a week. I wash my hair once a week. That's the truth. So an extra three days, not, not too crazy, but when you add the accumulation of how long it's been since I actually washed my hair, 
totes gross, like nasty. Nobody should, uh, I'm not a human. I'm a garbage person is what I am. (laughs) Dirty hair, don't care. Dead dad, what do you want from me? I think that's, I think things, I think I'm holding up okay. You know, um, until I start to read the stages of grief and realize I'm not even through stage one. (laughs) I am not, I don't, you know, uh, I had to Google, I had to Google the stages of grief to see, you know, what to expect because I'm a Virgo. I am very, you know, Virgos are anal, they're over analytical, they're very intuitive. All, all Virgos think they're psychic. Um, they're very thorough, detail oriented. We worry about everything. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, I just, I wanted to Google and see what I could expect so I can just prepare myself. And even though I'm an adult, like I'm also a realistic person, I realize that I have never gone through something like this before. So I can't, obviously can't prepare really for what emotions I'm going to be experiencing. But the one thing I can tell you um, is that I'm definitely in a little bit of denial. I've been numb I've had moments where I've cried, obviously, because I'm a human being. If I haven't cried, I probably would have just walked myself right into a psych ward and said, well, we tried. We tried, get me on your heaviest cocktail and put me in your Jack Nicholson, one flew over the cuckoo's next onesie, and I'll just take a nap. (laughs) One flew over the cuckoo's next. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, which is a great movie you guys should watch. Um, I got my green tea, not day wine, although, you know, I'm not against day drinking, but... All of that having been said, I, I'm, I'm in a little of denial. Yeah, I think the weirdest part about when somebody close to you dies is that the world just keeps spinning. It just keeps going. Why is that so sad? You, it's almost like you want the whole world to stop and be in that moment with you. But you, you got to keep going. It's literally like, it's, it, and I've referenced this before, it's like the end of Castaway. You never know what the tide's going to bring. You just got to keep waking up every day and keep going and keep doing your damn shit. You got to survive emotionally, spiritually, financially, you know. Um, And I've never considered, like, what true strength was, you know. I'm a strong person, even though I'm a skinny bitch. Like, I, I look very skinny, but I'm actually very physically strong. You know, being able to pick up weights and squats and, you know, I I lift, bro. (laughs) sound like such a douchebag but like I never considered what it meant to have true strength um and I realize again I am only at the first stage of grief which we'll get to um we'll get to all the stages (laughs) probably a bunch of you are like bitch I've been through the stages and back um but so maybe it's either strength or complete numbness but the day I found out my father passed away two days ago or two weeks ago I uh, I didn't fly right home. I had a tape. I did a taping for E for a show the next day. And I did that and kind of collapsed on stage afterwards. The, the whole crew was amazing. The, you know, everybody I worked with was amazing and so sweet. And I went and we did it at my dad's services. I stayed there for, you know, the weekend. And then I had to fly to... New York, and do another taping the following the following Tuesday. Why did I say the following? <laughs> I flew on Halloween, and then the following Tuesday, I had to do um, uh, a taping. And so I did that, or the following Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my days mixed up. My brain is also fucking fried. Uh, I left Syracuse. I was only there for a few days. Left Syracuse, did a taping for Sci-Fi Network, last Wednesday, and then I did my weekend of shows in Boston right after that. Thank you for everybody who came out to those Boston shows. They were amazing. We had a couple sellouts. The crowds were amazing. It was me and Marty. Marty's mom passed away the day of my dad's service, and then him and I did a weekend of shows right after. (laughs) Literally, the show must go on. That's the most brutal part, that it just keeps going. You just... It's like something about being in that moment, like pausing the moment feels like it's not real. So maybe that's what it is. You just kind of want to be close 
as close to them being alive as you can. And so, yeah, no, I, I think I'm just completely numb. I've definitely had some sad moments. I had a panic attack in the grocery store, panic attack on the uh, flight from Boston to LA. And now I'm here. Now I'm like, well, I got a podcast because there's a lot of shit in my head. A lot of stuff swimming around. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of you who've sent me messages. I've gotten so many personal messages about my father and people who have gone through Alzheimer's. Um, I am blown away. I am so uh, overwhelmed and I feel humbled by all the messages you guys have sent me. I'm trying to get through all of them myself. So if you're listening and I haven't responded to you, be patient. It might be a year from now. I don't fucking know. Depends on what stage of of grief I'm at at that point. (laughs) Like, literally, my dad has only been dead two weeks. I'm already looking for his ghost. (laughs) Has anyone done that? Has anyone done that? Like, if somebody has passed away, you're like looking. You're like, all right, show up. I've been afraid of ghosts my whole goddamn life, but now is the time. Pop up. Where are you at? You know, let me see you. What, what do you got going on? What are you wearing in the afterlife? You know, what do you got cracking? Are you, do you have like a sheet and chains? Do you have like, is there like a, a ghost outfit you get when you die? I'm wondering, you know, and then I'm like, well, I don't want to welcome, I, I'm out here talking to ghosts and spirits. Like, well, not all of them. I'm just trying to talk, talk to my ghost dad. Not like the Bill Cosby ghost dad, because I'd be the one that would probably fall asleep and die in that scenario. We all know how that turns out. But like my dad, you know, I'm not trying to open up to all your fathers and, and all your spirits. I don't want them coming into my space. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you know which spirit you're going to get if you start asking for that? <laughs> I'm like, Dad, come, come forward. And I get, like, you know, some World War II soldier that's angry. I don't want that. I, I respect your service, sir. Happy Veterans Day. But please uh, get out of my bedroom. <laughs> and then, like, what if my dad pops up and I'm, like, naked? What if I'm getting it on? You know, what if I got a titty out? What if I'm taking a dump and my dad takes that moment to pop up as my ghost dad? What, what do you do then? You know, that's why it's important, I think, to have like uh, like a, a word, you know, a, a type of word. Like choose a word while they're alive so that when they pass, when you go to a medium and the medium picks up on that word, then you know it's them and it's legit. You know what I'm saying? Like pick up like, I'm not, not, not like it's, it's like a safe word for sex, but for ghosts. <laughs> You know, like uh, some sort of like just secret word that you guys share. So then when you go and get your palm read or get some sort of like medium, you can be like, oh, okay, tangerine. What does that mean? You're like, dad's in the room. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting year for me. Last year was insane. I mean, you guys know I shared everything that went on, just the, just the struggle of my dad being sick. And it was only a year, which is very low. I think the average time someone is sick with Alzheimer's, is like something like six to seven years. You know, my friend Chris McClure, his mother, he's been dealing with that for years, seeing her just in that state and getting worse slowly and slowly. And my father, from diagnosis to death, was only about a year. He was pretty much diagnosed on his birthday last year and passed away a couple days shy of new, of Halloween, which is such his style because he loves horror movies. So he probably was like, hey, I hear they got a couple great horror cinema special festivals up in heaven for Halloween, so I got to get to them, you know. Um, but it was a very short but long year, if that makes any sense. Anyone who's dealt with Alzheimer's or anybody who's had to take care of a loved one while they're sick and, and you know, end-of-life stuff, it was so, so fast, but I wouldn't have wanted to sit and watch him be sick for years. I don't know what that would have done to me or my family. You know, just having it turn out the way it did was brutal enough um, that I feel like it, 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 the silver lining is that he passed away quick. You know, it just, and if you guys are wondering what happened, you know, it's this the disease just it evolves and it progresses in its own way, usually very slowly, depending on the type of dementia. I mean, there's only, 
I think, I don't know, a little like over a little over a dozen types of dementia. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's about that. And it, it it's just really dependent upon what type you have. And we think he had vascular dementia. His dementia was brought on. Oh, he was 81 when he passed away. His dementia uh, was brought on right after he quit drinking. He was a functioning alcoholic for like a decade. You guys are probably like, wow, this is a really uplifting podcast. <laughs> But no, fuck it. You, people go through this stuff. And the only way we learn is by sharing and hearing other people's stories because you can't really trust uh, everything you read and you can't really trust what you're told from doctors. They Sometimes they just stick to what they were taught. They don't even, even evolve their own education. How many doctors do you think are really evolving their education? Probably very few that you know take what they learned in college and then are actually reading new journal entries, new articles, new things that other forward thinking doctors are putting out, you know, um probably not many. And you're you're basing your diagnosis off of doctors who aren't evolving their their own professional thought and opinions and that's dangerous. You know, that that gets tricky. A lot of people die because of false, false diagnosis. So you know, it's f- for us. It just, it it just was a crazy, crazy fucking year, man. And um, we think he had vascular because he quit drinking, and he quit drinking because he was getting these like dizzy spells. I remember like around the summertime, I drove cross country. You guys probably remember that I drove from uh, West Coast to from LA to Syracuse, and I remember him being a little weird, off. You know, he was dizzy. He was a little cloudy. Couldn't really remember how to get to places. And then we took him to an appointment for his dizziness. And the neurologist told him he needed to stop drinking because he was a pretty functional alcoholic for a long time. That motherfucker got a DWI when he was 73. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. (laughs) Clean record up until that point. This dumb son of a bitch. This is you just, don't drink and drive, please. He got drunk at the change of pace, which was his watering hole, which literally was a thirty-second drive from his house. Got in his car, passed out, and crashed into a, a parked car. It's it's funny because no one got hurt besides him. That's why it's funny, and it's also funny because he was seventy-three fucking years old, kind of badass. So we get him to this neurologist, and she's like, "You got to stop drinking, but you can't do it cold turkey." You gotta, you know, ease off of it because your body's dependent upon it. Well, nope, not Joe Peluso, not Joe Joseph Samuel. I'm stubborn Peluso. He stopped cold turkey, and that was in about like August. And by late September, he his dementia had kicked in, and he was a, he was a different person within a month. And we think he might have had a stroke within that time period. Maybe the shock to his system from, de, um, you know depriving it of the alcohol it had become dependent upon for such a long time, shocked his system, but we're pretty sure it's vascular because of the aggressive, aggressive nature. And the, the beautiful silver linings, he didn't suffer too much, you know? And we were able to say goodbye to him. Not many people get that shit, you know? And, and before I get into these, de- these details of what went down, let's look up the grief stages of grief. Okay, I went to Wikipedia. The Kubler-Ross model, popularly known as the five stages of grief, though more accurately, the model postulates, excuse me, a progression of emotional states experienced by terminally ill patients after diagnosis. The five stages are chronologically. So these are more, uh, I mean, uh, this model is basically what all stages of grief are based off of, but... Um, this specifically has to do with people who realize that they are going to die, which is a whole other, I would imagine, uh, gamut of emotions. But I guess through clinical studies and psychiatric um, testing that this is what they've come up with. Denial. Hi, I'm there. (laughs) I am so there. Um, I am just, and you know, I'm a, I'm a jokey person. I am a, I'm a jovial person and I like to make jokes about things that make me uncomfortable. 
call it denial, call it survival. I don't care what the fuck you call it. But that's how I've been my whole life. So maybe I've been in denial my whole goddamn life. Maybe I've literally been in the first stage of grieving my entire fucking life. And now it's about to kick into the real process of going through all the stages. So the first stage is denial. The first reaction is denial. I'm going to read it to you guys. In this stage, individuals believe the diagnosis is somehow mistaken, clinging to a false, preferable reality. So I don't think it's mistaken. I realize my dad is dead. I know it's real. I'm literally still, I'm literally trying to see his ghost. So obviously I've sort of accepted that he's dead. Maybe I haven't accepted what those emotions connected to loving somebody and losing them. I haven't accepted that yet. That's possible. I'm not in denial about that. So I feel like I'm already ahead of the game. (laughs) Mm. Stage two, anger. Oh boy. When the individual recognizes that denial cannot continue, they become frustrated, especially at proximate individuals. Certain psychological responses of a person undergoing this phrase would be, why me? It's not fair. How can this happen to me? Who is to blame? Why would this happen? So I've, I've experienced, we, we experienced that uh, during the year of him being alive. And I feel like when you're, when, when you're, uh, the stages of, of, grieving I feel it might be a little bit more cyclical in this instance because basically we had to mourn him and say goodbye to him while he was still with us so I think the interpretation of these stages of grief are a little bit more fluid in how it can help you understand what to expect but also know that your your specific experience may be a little different as far as these stages are concerned. That's what I'm telling myself. Does that still sound like denial? (laughs) I don't feel anger. I don't, you know, I I don't, but, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe this is just, this episode is just pure denial. We'll just go with pure (laughs) denial next week. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, Stage three, bargaining. At first, I thought that said gambling. I'm like, well, that's been my, that was my dad's whole life. The third stage involves the hope the individual can avoid a cause of grief. Usually, the negotiation for an extended life is made in exchange for a reformed lifestyle. People facing less serious trauma can bargain or seek compromise. Examples include the terminally, the terminally ill person who, quote-unquote, negotiates with God to attend a daughter's wedding or an attempt to bargain for more time to live in exchange for a reformed white lifestyle. Damn, that's deep. It sounds like a deal with the devil. It sounds like step three is like, all right, what do you need, bud? I need six more weeks. What do you got? <laughs> what can, you know what? what? What can you offer me for, for 72 hours? That's an interesting concept. And I know it's something that's definitely been um, sort of highlighted in, pop culture and movies. I feel like the devil's advocate with Al Pacino and uh, Keanu Reeves kind of touched like on that. Didn't he sort of make a deal with the devil in that sense? I I think that that's what this sounds like. It's just like, Hey, you know, or God, I don't know why it has to be the devil. See, I think I'm already in stage two. I think I'm going through anger right now. I think you guys are witnessing. (laughs) This is very interesting It's because they sound like such basic emotions. Denial, anger, bargaining. Uh, stage four, depression. Oh, fuck. Well, I better. I, the good thing is I'm stocked up on weed. I've got enough weed to last me at least a year. Um, depression. I'm so sad. Why bother with anything? I'm going to die soon. So what's the point? I miss my loved one. Why go on? During the fourth stage, the individual despairs at the recognition of their mortality. In this state, the individual may become silent, refuse visitors, and spend much of the time mournful and sullen. Mourning, ah, see, I'm not looking forward to this at all. This is totally the antithesis of who I am as a person. I've never really been a depressed person. Uh, I've, uh, my father suffered with depression. I have definitely have days where I'm depressed, but usually it's around the time where I'm about to open up the blood floodgates and turn into a demon for seven days. I don't normally, I'm not like a naturally depressed person, so this stage really terrifies me. (laughs) So, you know, 
I'm going to have to stock up on the weed. I feel like with these stages, they should have like tools, you know, like, oh, denial's coming. Well, here in this stage, have fun, paint and go roller skating and have fun, go dance and have a great time. Anger. You might want to take up on an archery class or do some yoga or perhaps have lots of sex. Like there should be like counteractive things that you can, you know, implement into your lifestyle to sort of combat these things. But I guess it defeats the purpose of grief because you're supposed to experience all these goddamn emotions. Meanwhile, I just want to smoke a blunt and drink a bottle of wine and be left the fuck alone. All right. Anger's kicking in. It's kicking in. I feel a bargain coming on. (laughs) I just go into Marshall's. Can I bargain? Um, the fifth and final stage of grief is acceptance. It's going to be okay. I can, I can't fight it. I may as well prepare for it. Hey guys, I feel like I've already gone through these stages because remember in the beginning I said I wanted to look up the stages because I want to be prepared. Look at me. I'm healed. I'm fine. (laughs) In this last stage, individuals embrace mortality or inevitable future of that of a loved one or other tragic event. People dying may precede the survivors in the state, which typically comes with a calm, retrospective view for the individual and a stable condition of emotions. Wow. Yeah, I just, I mean, I've kind of accepted it. And again, I don't think I'm not, I know I'm not healed. I'm not trying to say that I'm healed by any stretch of the term. I'm not trying to say that I'm strong. So I was saying like, oh, maybe I'm just so strong that I haven't, I'm not going to experience these emotions. Um, I just think that the stages of grief are a fluid experience that sort of molds to what your particular um, state has been, whether it's been, you know, because if, 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 say my dad just got taken in a car accident, I feel like these stages of grief would come more in like a, like a loop, like constantly feeling them, and, and going through them because it was so tragic. But if, if anyone who's ever had to deal with a loved one who's been sick for a while, you kind of go through this. You kind of go through it. And you're not even, you don't even realize you've gone through it until you're out of it. Because I was definitely in denial in the beginning. I was angry. I was trying to find, you know, just someone to blame. And then I started bargaining for sure. You know, I started bargaining like, okay, well, what if we change... We might need to change his diet. What if we do this? What if we do that? What if we, you know, and I've definitely dealt with the depression of it, of, of, I mean, you guys have seen the videos that I've posted and I've shared a few moments where I was sad and crying. Um, but most of those moments were obviously behind closed doors or with loved ones and it. It was extremely painful, you know, and the, and the one thing that's frustrating about a disease like Alzheimer's I've said this before. I, I, I try and say it as much as possible. It's not a normal state. It's not a normal aging process. It's not a, it's not a part of the aging process. It's not normal. Uh, it's not an old person's disease. I've done a lot of reading. I've ordered so many fucking books <laughs> to sort of, you know, prepare myself and, and learn about what uh, what to expect and, and, and sort of how to combat this a little bit. If it's not a normal part of the aging process, then what is it? You know, what is Alzheimer's and dementia? And the reality is, is it's an inflammatory disease of the brain. It's inflammation. And what causes inflammation? Well, a lot of things cause it. Environmental stress, stress in general. But for the most part, it's nutrition. What you're eating, what you've been eating, what your parents ate, what's in your DNA that's made you sensitive to to foods. And, you know, so... That that part of it, I've definitely dove into and tried to learn as much as I can because if you can control some of life and avoid some of these things, then why not? Why not implement some... I've said implement like four times in this podcast already. <laughs> you know a person learned a word when they say it like six times in the sentence that they're they're talking with you. Like, well, the juxtaposition of that banana really affects the juxtaposition of my emotions. It's like, calm down, Trish. We get it. You got Word doc on your phone. We, we're cool. But, like, I, I want to fill my brain with knowledge. Knowledge is power. <laughs> Just a 1980s PSA commercial. I've told you guys about the Brain Food by Dr. Lisa Moscone, who um, she has 
worked and spent a lot of her life researching dementia and Alzheimer's specifically and has done clinical trials to um, see what the causes are and what, what you can do to help combat that disease. Um, she's the associate director of the Wheel Cornell Alzheimer's Prevention, Prevention Clinic. That's uh, Brain Food by Dr. Lisa Moscone. The Unbreakable Brain by Will Mitchell. Um, Shield Your Brain from Cognitive Decline for Life. Both of these people are extremely intelligent. He's, he has a bachelor's degree in microbiology and a master's in oriental medicine, which, you know, sounds like something that my dad says, and it sounds racist. My dad used to say oriental all the time, and I had to tell him that that wasn't okay. But apparently when it comes to medicine, it's totally fine. Very confusing. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's a very clinical book. And then a couple other books that I've discovered through, you know, um, Rogan's podcast and Dr. Rhonda Patrick and just, you know, following Brain Health on IG, which is a, just an, a hashtag that I follow where I get a lot of my information from, The Brain That Changes Itself. Actually, I think Whitney told me about this book, Norman Deutsch, MD. Deutsch, I think that's how you say his last name. It's a New York Times bestseller. Bestseller. Beth Stelling, it's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it was featured on PBS's The Brain Fitness Program. It's called The Brain That Changes Itself, Stories of Personal Triumph from the Prun Frontiers of Brain Science. <laughs> from the Frontiers of Brain Science. <laughs> that one just came today. And another book that just came today is You Can Fix Your Brain by Dr. Tom O'Brien. Um, best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. And, you know, it sounds like a lot. You know, it sounds like I'm losing my mind, trying to fix my mind. But the reality is that uh, a lot of us just sort of follow these antiquated rules of health and these regimens that we never change. You know, I was talking about doctors who don't evolve their, their own practice and their own um, ideals and perspective of what their, you know, um, what their field and specialty is. Well, the same is with you as an individual, you got to evolve, you know? Now we know, like when I grew up, it was milk and meat, whole milk, meat, and, and Twinkies. And now we know that those things aren't the best. <laughs> you got to pivot. You got to like look at what's available out there and, and apply it to your life. You know, we're responsible for ourselves. We can blame as many people and, and institutions as we want. But at the end of the day, we have so much power. We have all the power because we have choice. Choice is the most important superpower that humans, especially Americans, have that we don't utilize nearly enough because we're too lazy to put one foot in front of the other and actually make the choice to be, you know, proactive in our own lives. I think the green tea has kicked in or I'm in the fourth stage. <laughs> what is it? Wait, what, what's it? We got to memorize these stages, y'all. We got to memorize these stages. Okay. It's denial, anger, bargaining. Yep. Depression. I'm definitely depressed. And um, acceptance. Okay. So don't forget those. And then that brings me to another book that I heard that was amazing. It's called why we sleep. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Unlocking the power of sleep and dreams. Yo, the one thing I've grown to love as an adult, as a grown ass woman is sleep. I love sleep. I love sleep so much. I love it so much that I will, I will miss hanging out with you so I could get sleep. I will miss a meeting. I will miss food. I mean, maybe not. I love food a little bit more than sleep, but sleep is vital. It's just... And another thing I learned about your brain is that it has this, like, oh, this system. It's like your brain has this, like, glymphatic system. It's like a pathway system. And it's basically almost like a plumbing system that exists in your um, central nervous system. And it, it's a pathway to clear out waste. And the only time your brain really has time to clear out waste, and you're like, what kind of waste builds up in your brain? I mean, a lot of stuff. Same as like, after you eat shitty food, you build up all this waste and you crap it out. Your brain, is, your brain craps, basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> your brain craps. And unless we take the proper measures to get rid of all that, it accumulates. And what ends up happening is, you know, your brain, one of the byproducts and one of the accumulative uh, 
buildup like plaque that happens in your brain are these like beta amyloid proteins. And those are the things that build up. And those are the, the, the uh, proteins that are linked, the plaques that are linked to Alzheimer's and dementia. And your brain gets rid of these plaques at night. Gets, you know, it, it's, it flushes them through your, glympha- your glymphatic brain shit system. So literally, you, these little poops come out of your brain. You got to clear them out at night. And there's a whole bunch of food that can break them down as well. So just if you're, if this stuff is something that you're experiencing with your family or personally, I would highly recommend these books. And also checking out Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who is a neuroscientist who has just really has her nose to the ground as far as like what the current science is. She is a doctor who is challenging what she already knows and has taken up having, you know, mentors and people to help her improve her own her own strategies and her own approaches to the disease and how she's helping spread the word about combating it. So I just want to be able to help people as well because I realize how powerful it's been to share what I've been experiencing and the response I've gotten from fans, friends and family has been overwhelming. So I'm staying the course because it's part of my life now and it's what I'm doing. And and just because my father's gone doesn't mean I'm going to stop being an advocate for the disease and, and for, you know, anybody who needs help. Like if any, any of you who are going through this, DM me. Like I said, I get so many messages, but I will try and get to all of them. If you're having any issues and check out, you know, all those books that I recommended. One thing that happened that made me laugh the day that I found out my, do- my father passed away was um, something came in the mail for me that I left. I had to leave in D.C. I was flying out of D.C. I was doing those shows at um, the Comedy Loft. And I didn't realize I had my dad's buck knife in my carry-on bag. <laughs> It's right here. Let's see if I can open it without stabbing myself. Wait. Oh, God. Oh, fuck. Here we go. Ooh. I have my dad's buck knife, and I had it in my carry-on bag. And I didn't realize that. And I go through TSA, and she's like, uh, ma'am, were you hunting in D.C.? I was like, oh, no. And if any other knife or item, I would have left. But so I left going through security. I was like, what do I do? This is my dad's and I, I can't leave it. And she's like, yeah, go back out. You know how TSA is. You know, you gotta go back out. They've got such fucking attitudes. You gotta go back out, bitch. And so I went back out, left it, made sure somebody, I had an, someone come and pick it up for me, told them it was, it was uh, James from the DC comedy loft. Thank you, James so much the manager at the comedy club who took care of it for me, mailed it back to me. And the day it came, the day my, I found out my dad died. <laughs> Why is that funny to me? Is that terrible that I think that's funny? I honestly, I opened the package. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, I've been crying. And I opened up the package and I was like, okay, fair enough. I laughed. I thought that was so like ridiculous that what came in the mail was my dad's buck knife. It's a cool knife, you know. It's a cool thing to have, and the services were nice. You know, I don't. We 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 had them cremated. My dad did not want to be in a casket. Thank God. What a weird fucking tradition. What I mean, what are we doing there? Huh? You want to look in? You want to look in at Aunt Aunt Ida with a blush? She's got blush on. Post posthumous blush. <laughs> It's weird. I, I don't, I guess it's a way to say goodbye, but I just, I remember all the funerals I've ever been to with an open casket and, and it's just, it feels like, it feels like something from a horror movie and not like that it's scary. It just literally feels like I'm on the set of a horror movie and there's a fake person in there and they're just going to come awake and they're going to be zombies. I think it's a strange tradition. Um, I, I don't know why anybody would want to do an open casket. I mean, I guess for, like I said, for saying goodbye, it's, it's, but even then it's like, that's all the last image you have is them just looking like they're going to be awake. (laughs) It's got to be some religious shit, right? Oh man. It's just, 
why, why it, it, is it like Catholic? It, 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 but it exists in all religions. Um, it's just kind of weird to be like, yeah, my, my dad died. You want to look at him? Just get yeah, peek your head. Poke him in the cheek. Yeah, go ahead and just feel around in there and see. Take a selfie. Like, what? what? <laughs> you know there's some bitch somewhere who's taking a selfie with someone in a casket. You know it. I want you guys to Google that shit. Don't send me any photos, though, because I don't want to see it. But I bet you it, it, I bet you it exists. I'm going to Google it right now. Open casket selfies. I bet you there's some cruel bitches who are so thirsty about getting... Oh, my God! They're... <laughs> thing that pops up is this dude doing a selfie it looks like his grandma's in the casket and he's throwing up a peace sign (laughs) i can't believe that oh my god oh my god (laughs) holy shit there's photos what is wrong with people there's oh my god there's so many there's an old asian lady there's people are posted up there's a family oh man that is so weird. As a dead person, I'd be like, what the? What are you doing? Back up. I've been dead five minutes, Cheryl. Why are you all up in my shit? And the other thing that I don't get, that I don't like, is the receiving line. This isn't a wedding. It's not a buffet. I don't know you. I, had, I, had, I felt like I had so many old dudes kissing my earlobe. I felt like a, like a Russian hooker. Like, I felt like I was owed money at the end of the night. I had, like, just all these elderly dudes that kept apologizing to me and, and were, like, making out with my neck. And I'm like, my name is Nadia. Where is my money? You know, like, I felt like I was missing a payment. I felt like, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to deal with people's amoebas and biomes. I don't want to, sh- I don't know where your hand was. I don't want to risk my immune system so that you can say goodbye to my dad. I don't know you. It, my, I made my mom and my sisters like, come on, you got it. I'm like, I'm not standing in the line. I'm going to float the room. I floated the room like I was a manager at TGI Fridays. <laughs> How you guys doing? You doing good? You need some more sauce for your chicken tenders? How's everybody doing over here? How are your drinks? Want me to top you off? Uh, and maybe that was more part of the denial, but I just didn't, I, I didn't want to spend my emotions with people who I didn't know. Um, call it selfish. I call it survival. I don't give a fuck. Um, it, you know, it just was, it feels forced. It's like, I, I don't need to force myself to hug these people in order to deal with my dad's death. But then like the two people who I saw that I cried, I only cried twice at the funeral. I'm like bragging. I'm dead inside. My dad's dead outside. Um, <laughs> the only two times I cried once when I saw my childhood friend, Allison Garland, because we spent so much time with my dad. And then when I saw my first boyfriend, Randall, there, because he also spent so much time with my dad. So the, them being there reminded me of the situation. And then the other 80, 82-year-old men that sucked on my earlobe just reminded me of my life in sex slavery. So... <laughs> and then the other weird thing is all the flowers you get. They look beautiful. Like, honestly, the flowers look beautiful, but you know what flowers do? Die. Just reminds me of what? My dead dad. Thanks. Hey, thanks for the reminder of my dead dad. Beautiful arrangement. Dad is dead. (laughs) No, but I I did, I got some really beautiful flowers from E! Network and from Jash Network, who works with Doug Benson getting Doug with High. Those guys sent me flowers and... um, uh, people from Charlotte's Web CBD company sent me amazing stuff. They really helped my dad towards the end. Their CBD oil really helped him. Um, I saw, my sister and I saw a noticeable difference. You guys saw it as well. If you watched my Facebook Live feed of me administering the CBD oil for him, it, honestly, like 20 minutes later, he was just, his breathing had regulated and he seemed to be in a much deeper sleep. But uh, the few times that I was able to give him the CBD before he ended up passing away. Um, but to be clear, the CBD did not kill my father. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I, I got a lot of amazing stuff from you guys. And it just funerals are just so weird. I'm, I'm so glad that we all agreed that we had them cremated. And, um, and a little bit of a kickback with my family because I didn't want to make out with elderly men. But, you know, the only time I'm going to be making out with elderly men was when it's my husband and I'm on the Anna Nicole Smith retirement plan. Okay? So until then, you got to pay me, bitch. Um, but we, you know, the service was nice. The reverend was non-denominational and spoke very nicely. Uh, my sisters, Chris, Karen, and Emily and I each said a little something, something. Um, we held each other. We drank tequila in the bathroom, uh, smoked weed in the parking lot. We did what we had to do to get through the day. <laughs> we had a lot of, uh, assistance and you know what? You got to do what you got to do. You also have to honor those emotions, but if you need to medicate a little bit, that's fine. That's fine too. You got to do what you got to do. And um, I just, I, I wrote my own version of our father's prayer for my dad. And at the end of me saying something at the service, the reverend got up and he goes, in my 25 years of doing this job, and you know, it's never good when someone starts like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. But he said in his 25 years of, of doing funeral services, he had never seen one like that before. And he said it was really cool and funny. And, and he enjoyed it. So I was happy that I didn't get kicked out of my dad's funeral service because my mother would have probably ostracized me from the family, even though I had a dead dad. <laughs> um, but I did my own version of the Lord's Prayer, or not the Lord's Prayer, Our Father's Prayer, and I, it was, let me see if I can remember it. Um, Our Father, who farts in heaven, frammer smash be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy quick draw be done on earth as it is at the change of pace. Give us this day our daily Columbus Bakery bread, and forgive us, forgive him for his gases, as we forgive those who pass gas against us and lead us not to constipation, but deliver us some evil, deliver us from evil, for, for thy wine is my kingdom, <laughs> and thy Joey glory whole forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Something like that. And Frammer Smash is my dad's words. He always said Frammer Smash. His nickname was Frammer, and he called a drink a smash, but a Frammer can be anything, and a smash can be anything. So at his local bar, the Change of Pace in Syracuse, New York, they call him Frammer Smash. Um, and at the bar, we had a, we had a after, like a celebration of life get-together at the Change of Pace. I was going to say an after party, but <laughs> see how terrible I am at morning? We had a, a f celebration of life. The bar set up an empty seat, my dad's chair, they set it up and they put his drinks there and his quick draw tickets because he loved quick draw. That was his game. And they set up a station for him, which I thought was so amazing. Each of my sisters and I bawled our eyes out. Each of us sat in the chair and cried our eyes out. I just thought that was so thoughtful. And at the end of the, we got wasted, I should say. We definitely drank our faces off crying, dancing, laughing. Um, my sisters and I had some tension through the last year because it was so difficult. But something was released when my father passed and it feels like it used to be back in the day where we all are getting along now. And it just, you know, sometimes it takes letting go for you to be able to be more open. And, um, so everybody left at the end of the night and it was just me and, and, uh, a couple people at the bar, me, my soulmate, and uh, my friend Tia, her boyfriend. And my dad, no one had played my dad's ticket, his numbers, and so we decided to play his ticket. Now, he was a terrible gambler. My dad, he was just obsessive. Like in Vegas, we, he went to Vegas with me when I was 21 years old. He can't walk by a table without just gamb like putting a bet. Just put bet, bet on it, bet on it. Go to the off-track betting. Go to the OTB. Like he was such a gambler for so long. It just felt wrong to leave his after party <laughs> without having gambled for him. And so we're literally about to walk out the door. And I was like, let's just run the numbers. His numbers hit two times in a row, 717. 
he has a, a, a bunch of numbers that he always plays. He plays 916, 930. That's my birthday, his birthday. Um, he'll play a couple other numbers in 7 and 17. And those numbers hit twice. <laughs> now, given it was only like 20 bucks a piece, but I screamed like I won the New York State Lotto. <laughs> It felt like I did. I was like, oh, it felt like he was there, you know? Like, he was like, see? Still got it, babe. Maybe you're a better gambler posthumously than you were alive, Dad. Maybe this is a, this whole thing was a ploy for you to be able to gamble in heaven. I'm on to you. Um, it just, <laughs> it was hilarious, and so I kept the money. I'm not going to cash it. I'm going to keep it. I, I, how do you cash cash, you idiot? Uh, I have the money and the winning tickets. My mom's going to make a cute little shadow box for me. And then one day when I'm broke as fuck, I'll have to crash that shit open and, and use it. I might I just take the 40 and take it to Vegas. <laughs> Put it on 717. That would be hilarious. In roulette. You guys do that. Let me know how it turns out. Um, But yeah, so my hair's dirty. I'm going to wash it after this. I'm going to wash away all the stuff. Um, I'm going to try and go through these stages of grief. Bear with me if you're a fan. Know that I'm going through this. If you're going through it, hey, you ain't alone, bitch. I'm a part of the Dead Dads Club. Hit me up if you're part of the DDC, the Dead Dads Club. We're going to start meeting once a month in L.A., sharing stories of our fathers and having a couple beers. I'll let you know where where those locations will be. Um, That's a serious situation. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be in Syracuse at the Funny Bone, November 21st and 23rd. That is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and Black Friday, Syracuse, New York, the Funny Bone in Carousel Mall, or as all the newbies call it, uh, Destiny, okay, even though it sounds like a stripper that works in Syracuse. It's in Destiny Mall. I also will be in Peru, Indiana, the 14th of December, and that is going to be at, hold on, let me pull up my flyer right here. That is going to be at a place called the Literary Aid Society. That's on Canal Street in Peru, Indiana with Marty. That's December 15th. I'm sorry, did I say 14th? December 15th. And December 14th, I'm going to be at the Yonkers Comedy Club in Yonkers, New York, also with Marty Caproni, uh, who is also part of the Dead Parents Club, which is a different club. Dead Dad Club is very specific, um, but he's still a part of his own club. He's a part of the, the DMC, the Dead Moms Club. He will be with me. That's uh, December 14th at Yonkers Comedy Club, Yonkers, New York. December 15th, Peru, Indiana at the Literary Aid Society. Also, I'm doing a special one-night engagement at the Helium in Buffalo, New York, December 6th. So check out, um, I think, jessiemay.com. I think we'll have those tickets up soon. If not, you can Google those places. Please come out. The uh, I need it. I need you guys. I want your support. Need your support. I'm not afraid to say that I need it. And we'll see what stage of of grief I'm at at that point. (laughs) We'll see where I'm at in my grieving process. Um, And uh, if I offended any of you with my open casket talk, I'd really, hey, if you're offended, it's probably because you haven't figured out a skill that you need to learn or something. Your brain has got too much time. Anybody who's offended by something, just you've got idle time in your brain. And you could just be reading a book. Read one of the books I recommended if you got offended. Maybe you'll learn something. You'll forget that you were offended. That might work out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, God, why does everybody get so offended? Look, comedy, if, if, if you can't laugh through these terrible times that we all experience, we won't survive. Laughter and humor are survival for tragedy. So uh, let me be that for you. And the last thing I want to talk about, I talked about during the shows that we had in Boston this past weekend. Thanks again for everybody who came out. My girl, Aaron Birmingham, uh, my old co-workers from H&M, Pocket Dave, Alex LaForest, Natalie Herholtz, um, Randall stopped by with his sister, Cindy. I had a whole bunch of family there. It really was amazing. Marty did comedy the, the night of his, the night... Basically, the same day as his mother's service, he buried his mother. He came out and did comedy. He talked about it. So these sort of situations, like losing my dad, just reminds me how important what my job is and how it can help other people go through terrible tragedy. So I'm going to keep going, even though I might break down in the hotel bathroom or if you see me walking outside in public and I'm crying, you know why. It's because I didn't have my chicken torta. (laughs)
But um, I want to tell you guys a personal story before we get out of here today. Um, last, the, the, the Sunday before my father passed away, I, I woke up and I, I've written on my bathroom mirror, call your dad. Because since he had been sick, he wasn't able to call me as much because he'd forget. And he used to call me all the time. Hours a week, him and I would talk. We'd talk about the weekend before, my shows, where I was going to be traveling, horror movies that we each watched that week. We talked about everything. He was my best friend. And as he got sicker and more forgetful, I had to make the initiative and take the initiative to call him. And I was scared. I didn't do it as often as I should have because I was afraid of what he wouldn't say. I was afraid of what he wouldn't remember. And I kind of allowed fear to dictate how my relationship changed with my dad because of his illness. So the Sunday before he passed away, I woke up, I saw my bathroom mirror, said, call your dad. And I thought about it. I went to the grocery store. I called my sister. And I, I had a panic attack in the grocery store. I don't know if anyone here has ever had a panic attack, but you feel like just thoughts of dread and you feel like you're dying and you, everything you've ever feared comes to the surface and sometimes your senses get affected. I couldn't really hear she had to repeat herself a bunch of times. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm having a panic attack on the kumquats. I'm not okay. <laughs> so she kind of calmed me down. You know, I did what I had to do. <laughs> Walked through the store. I bought, I bought like six jars of peanut butter. I had like jam, a whole bunch of pizza. I, just, I didn't even know what to buy. I just was like in a pure panic. I got home. I saw in the bathroom mirrors. I call your dad. And I went to my phone, um, just to get some sort of, you know, so many people had messaged me and I just wanted some relief or something. And I went to my Instagram and all, I had so many DMs and out of all the DMs I could have opened, I opened one from a comedian who I had never met. And it was from John Heffron. And he said, my mother had Alzheimer's and I'm sorry you're going through this, you know, uh, if it's any sort of relief for you to know that you're not alone you know, that's basically what his message was. He was just reaching out, letting me know that he also had experienced it. And I was like, you know, I honestly needed to hear something at this moment because I just had a panic attack over the avocados at the grocery store. <laughs> I said, I, I thought I was losing my hearing and my sister made fun of me. And I, I just feel today is a bad day, Sunday. I don't know why I'm just feeling a little crazy today. And he's like, it's funny you should say the thing about hearing because hearing is one of the last senses to go when you're passing. And I didn't know that. And I Googled it and he was right. According to Google, when you're in your final stages of life, hearing is the last to go. And I came home, I looked at the bathroom mirror, said, call your dad, you know, and I didn't, still didn't call him. I could have called him all day. I was still scared. I went to a comedy show that night. I did a Brady Matthews show at the comedy store. And I still was thinking about it. Call your dad. And I got home at like 1 o'clock in the morning. I looked at the bathroom mirror again. Call your dad. And then I called the nursing home where he was. The night nurse, Karen, answered. And, you know, I said, is my dad still with us? And she said, yes. And I said, can you do me a favor and just go into his room and tell him that Jesse called his daughter and that she loves him very much? And she said, sure, I can do that for sure. And she went in and told him. I had hung up. That was about 2.10 in the morning. So it was about, let's see, 2 to 3, 3 to 4. That was about f 5 in the morning. And my sister called me about half an hour later after I had hung up with the nurse to tell me that dad had passed away. So... My father waited for my call <laughs> to be let go. And if that's not beautiful, if that's not a sign that maybe some of this isn't completely coincidence, if that's not a sign that you spreading love, you reaching out to people has more of an impact that, than you realize. Like John Heffron, had he never sent me that message, I wouldn't even consider to call my dad. Even though I had written the message myself, I had literally given myself a sign. I wasn't even taking my own sign. It took a, a comedian I'd never met 
to put that into the universe. And the universe was telling me something was wrong. My panic attacks, you know, I'm so connected to my father and I felt a disarray all day Sunday. And then he ended up passing away early, early Monday morning. But the fact that I was able to know that one of the last things he heard before he left this life was that I loved him and I was okay. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. If you ever have something you want to say to a stranger, a loved one, a friend, a family member, say it. They're listening. It's so important to share. It's so important to spread love. You know, um, I think that's a very powerful message to share with you guys because being able to say goodbye to somebody you love is a gift. And a lot of us feel regret and pain our whole lives because of all the things we didn't say, all the things we were afraid to say, and all of those memories we, we left you know, unspoken about. And so to be able to share that with somebody that you love is truly one of the greatest gifts of life. So, I mean, I guess I could have ended on something funny, but what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> what stage of grief am I at? <laughs> I think I'm still in denial. That's okay. I'm going to get through this just fine. You guys have a great week. Okay? Live your truth. Don't be an asshole. Tell somebody you love them today. I love you guys. Don't forget to call your dad. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.